Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. What does true quality mean? How does this relate to compliance? You know, these are really tough questions to answer sometimes if you think about it. And probably no secret to any of you listening that I'm a huge fan of the program from FDA, CDRH, Case for Quality. And I'm really thrilled to have um, my guest on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, George Zach. George is with Two Harbors Consulting. And a big part of the medical device discovery appraisal program being conducted by the CMMI Institute on behalf of Case for Quality. So be sure to take a listen to this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And really excited for this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to meet George Zach. George is with Two Harbors Consulting. And really excited because of a lot of the things that George is involved with and, and really, you know, this whole case for quality initiative. And, and we'll dive into that a little bit here in a moment. But George, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hey, good morning, John. Really happy to be here. I've I've enjoyed the podcast for quite some time. I think I shared with you that I, I listen to it quite often. And uh, when you spoke up at that meeting that you you came out to, uh, I, I didn't recognize your face. But as soon as I heard your voice, since you've been plugged in my ears many times, I was uh, I was really pleased to meet you and, and happy to be here this morning. <laughs> yeah, um, folks, when um, I was at this event, it was an MDIC uh, case for quality event recently. And and I asked a question, and I thought it was a pretty good question. And then George had uh, his body language shifted, and I'm like, all right, maybe that wasn't such a good question. And then I learned uh, after the session, and I had the chance to talk with George one-on-one, that he recognized my voice. That was the reaction, but it, it kind of threw me off a little bit. But George, I know you've been very involved in, in the Case for Quality Initiative. But you know, before we dive too deep in, in those topics. Tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about Two Harbors. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm a, a consultant. I'm part of a small consulting firm that's, as you said, called Two Harbors Consulting. And our job is we help organizations and businesses achieve better performance and quality outcomes. The team that I work with, we came out of the healthcare space uh, a few years ago. We've actually engaged with firms in all sorts of markets, in healthcare, medical devices, software, public school systems, defense systems, Essentially, what we're doing is we're leveraging a variety of tools and standards and frameworks and regulations to help those organizations so that they can say they're a software organization and they want to become agile. Uh, we'll, we'll help them with their, their agile journey. If they're a device company and they want to be more compliant to the QSR, uh, we can help them with that. And a few ways, if they happen to be a software company uh, that's making medical devices or a SAMD, we can help them do both. One of the frameworks that we use that I think you and I will be talking about at some point today is the uh, capability maturity model or the CMMI. And that's one that we, uh, we leverage within this program that we'll be talking about today. So yeah, essentially small consulting firm that helps companies be better. It, I, I know that sounds just kind of you know, like a, a quick phrase there, but yeah. uh, that's really, that's our objective. We've had a lot of success with it and we're, we've only been around three years um, but we've had a lot of success with it in a variety of markets, including the medical device space. Yeah, and obviously I connected with you because of your efforts with the CMMI 
Institute and the appraisal model, the, the medical device discovery appraisal program. And I guess if, if you can maybe share a little bit about how the MDDAP, uh, that one just doesn't roll off the tongue yet, I'll confess, but how, how that appraisal program kind of fits into the overall FDA case for quality initiative. And maybe talk a little bit about that because, you know, it's, for me, it was a little confusing to try to connect the dots, but uh, I know you've been sure. doing this for a bit and it might help and enlighten and share how all this fits together. Yeah. So I'll try to cover it here, but I'd also give a little bit of credit to where credit's due over the holidays, John, you, you wrote a, a really good and, and published a really good uh, white paper on it on the Greenlight site on the overall effort uh, related to case for quality. And while how this program, or what I call MDAP, um, there's a variety of names for it, which is its, its own conversation unto itself, but that <laughs> medical device, yeah. every appraisal program, how that is a, a part of it. So I would I'd certainly point people to that and they can get into a lot of the, the details. And you did a great job connecting the dots there. Oh, but thank you. Um, in short, this appraisal program is a part of that case for quality. The case for quality has roots that tie back several years where CDRH's uh, Dr. Jeffrey Shuren noted uh, astutely that that they were compliant and having quality issues or they were not compliant and still producing a, a quality product. And uh, so he, he recognized that compliance was simply not enough. It wasn't to say it wasn't necessary, but it was not enough. And uh, leveraging uh, a public-private partnership, the Medical Device Innovation Consortium, MDIC, uh, they started to explore several um, programs and ways that they could assess organizations beyond just compliance to the regulation. They saw, great, you know what, we're seeing that we have CAPA, as an example, as our you know, number one cited 483 finding year after year after year. Well, you know, is there a different way we should be looking at organizations? And so that has spawned a variety of efforts that MDIC oversees as a part of the case for quality, MDIC being a, a place where industry and the agency uh, can connect together and work on these problems. And one of those efforts was exploring how a maturity model would provide insight to the capabilities of an organization to produce quality products. So above and beyond just compliance, were there specific practices or typical practices that organizations demonstrated that would help them achieve higher quality outcomes in the products and the services that they produced? There was a few years ago, there was uh, there were several uh, maturity models uh, reviewed, and the capability maturity model integrated or CMMI, um, which had been known for two decades, mostly in the defense space, but it was uh, it's applicable to a variety of markets. It was chosen as the model for the pilot that was run in 2018. So with that, uh, a third party appraisal is performed against a participating uh, medical device manufacturing organization. That results in feedback to that organization as to how they're performing against the practice areas that are uh, in scope for this particular program, gives them feedback as to areas in which they can improve um, and where they're demonstrating strong capabilities. These are organizations that have already demonstrated a strong um, history of compliance. Uh, so the the facility itself is something that's already undergone its establishment registration. They haven't had any official action indicated over the last uh, handful of years. By way of participating uh, in this, in addition to getting the that appraisal performed and the feedback, the uh, facilities that participate are also eligible for some regulatory modifications, which include that they don't undergo the routine uh, inspection. They have streamlined submissions for the review of change notices and site change submissions. 
we're also working through some other potential benefits uh, between what industry wants and what the agency is able to provide. So in 2018, uh, we had 18 organizations uh, enrolled that represented uh, 36 facilities undergoing an appraisal. And we've had a lot of uh, positive feedback and a lot of success. I think that's in a nutshell. We can break down into the different parts that you think that you're most interested in, John. Yeah. So I made a couple of notes here and we'll we'll dive into a few of those here in a moment. But I want to kind of revisit the, the comment that, um, well, I don't know if it's famous yet, but there, Dr. Sharon has, has come out and, and made the, the statement that cli- compliance is not enough. Uh, I think right. I've even heard uh, at one point in time, either Dr. Sharon or somebody from CDRH has made the statement that, that they hope to purge the term compliance from their lexicon within the next few years. And, you know, I, I, I get the idea, the notion behind that, but Let's talk a little bit more about you know compliance versus quality and 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 I guess specifically without you know giving away any proprietary information, what has your experience been? You know, you said that for a company to be involved in case for quality and a part of the appraisal program that they have to basically have a clean bill of health, so to speak, when it comes to compliance. But but what anecdotes or, de- or information can you share about sort of the difference between being compliance-minded and quality-minded? Yeah, I'm going to give a non-medical device example because it seems to get people of our age, John, to understand it very quickly. Um, before you hit record, we were talking about uh, the holiday break, and, and, and I mentioned yeah. that I have some teenage children. And a couple of years ago, I went through that wonderful experience of bringing my children to uh, get their driver's licenses. And that's a coming of age unto itself for both them, but I felt much more me. And I really recognized that, uh, particularly the day my son got his driver's license, that he was a compliant driver. He had demonstrated by going and getting his driver's license yeah. and uh, holding his, his hands on the wheel at 10 and even doing that thing where you reach up and you touch the driver the rearview mirror so that the, the person who's proctoring the driver's test is like, oh, yeah, they're looking at their mirror. Uh, he was a compliant driver. Now, was he a quality driver? Uh, you know, certainly not. And um, so, and, 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 I, and I think he thought he was a, a quality driver, but, you know, it was, it's going to take time and experience for him to, uh, to get to that. He's better now, so thankfully. And I think similarly, it's very easy for organizations. And you're right, it was Dr. Stern who made that, that statement about the, the, the compliance uh, being dropped from the lexicon in, in, the, in the device field. We don't necessarily think of when we get on an airplane of you know, just, just being in compliance, right? We're also looking for a, a quality experience as a part of our flight. And the same thing in, in the device space. Um, I think that we're not just looking for uh, devices that are compliant, but we're gonna, as consumers of those devices or having family members that are consumers of those devices, we're looking for ones that are going to be safe, and effective, but you know, I know those are the terms that are thrown out the, the most often. But you know, are they also, you know, readily available? You know, is that value stream through that particular business bringing those devices to market in a fashion where they're they're accessible to me? And so, one of the things that we're doing in the appraisal is uh, across the uh, the practice areas, we're looking more holistically than just uh, at compliance. We're not just saying, hey, drum out your DHF so that we can look at how you've tied your inputs to your outputs and, and design controls. But we're also looking at how the organization has estimated and planned that work and, and, and how they're responding to incidents. Um, so it, it, it's in many areas, there's probably, in, in looking at the appraisal, there's probably many things that you would look at and you'd say, oh yeah, when I look at that practice area within the CMMI, 
that sounds a lot like 820. whatever, but there's other things that are broader than that. And in addition to it just being compliance, we're also working with the organizations to identify areas in which they can they can really improve so that they can better those quality outcomes. So I'm, I'm not certain I directly answered your question there, no. maybe with the, the driving example, but maybe not necessarily a no, I, example from... But I can, relate, I can relate to the driving example as a father of two teenagers who are both drivers. I... I chuckled a little bit as you talked about being compliant. You know, my uh, my children went through similar experiences, and and I'm still waiting for their quality to improve. But uh, <laughs> um, but that being yeah. said, I mean, you, you talked about some practice areas. I don't want to delve into that a little bit because you know, on the surface, when you first um, when you first, or, or rather, when I first learned about the the appraisal program and and these practice areas. To me, it kind of sounded like, oh, this is like an audit, but like a different flavor. Um, what do you think? I mean, is this is this like an audit? I mean, how is it different from an audit? How is it the same? Yeah, so there there certainly are elements that are similar in that there's when when I perform both, right? I have performed for other businesses. They, they've actually hired they've hired me or they've hired two harbors, and, and we all know we've hired consultants out there to play the auditor. And sometimes they even say, hey, we want you to come in and play the, the, the tough guy um, auditor, really ask us the really hard questions. And so you're going in and you're, uh, what's similar is that there's a framework. When you do an audit, you're, you, maybe that's you know, 820 or 803 or 806 and 807 or 1345, whatever it is. And you are asking questions to understand how they are meeting the intent of those regulations. In a similar regard, an assessment where um, we are certainly asking questions to understand how they're meeting the intent of the practices that we're looking at within a C- the CMMI appraisal, the areas that we've scoped with the MDIC and the agency and the industry partners that, that are in there. But I would say that's essentially where a lot of the similarities end and that there's a lot of things that are very different. Now, I'll, I'll give you a couple, but I'll also... Um, Suggest John that you, people hearing it from me as a as a consultant, you, yeah. they might you know say, okay whatever. We've also with MDIC we've had a few webinars where we've had participants come back and uh, speak to how they perceive the the um, the difference from an assessment an CMMI assessment to be very different than a, a typical audit from the FDA, and so. I think their words are going to be much more golden, if you will. So go back. I can share the links with you. And I'd say go back and listen to those things where you can hear it from big industry partners as to how they perceive it's different. But essentially, where I would say it is, since we're moving from just a compliance, like how did you meet the intent of the regulation? And we're asking more broadly, how can you continuously improve and how can you achieve higher levels of quality outcomes? um, That shifts the entire tone. And and frankly, it it takes some time for the participating businesses to get that. We're speaking directly with people that are performing the work. We're asking for an, an open dialogue. That's very different. You know, we're all familiar with that when we train people to go through audits or inspections, if you're asked, do you know what time it is? Your answer is yes. You, you don't give the time in, in an audit or inspection. And so in an assessment, we're actually working to get people to go beyond that and to, and to speak to us as to how the work's actually being performed, maybe even beyond what's actually written or not written in their procedures. Uh, so we're, we're moving beyond just looking at documents. We don't start with document review. We might use that to support our activities, but we're really talking to the people and doing that in a way that's very open and transparent so that we can learn how to improve the organization. 
this changes a lot of things, then you'll you'll see that the the back room is not necessary. That the typical audit back room that might be staffed by you know tens or maybe even in some cases dozens and dozens of people. Prep is not necessary. We've had organizations ask us, "Hey, how can we prep for this? And what what is it that we need ahead of time to study for?" And we say that just no, don't don't prep and study. Instead, tell us how you actually do the the work. And other things that are different, as as an example, is as we come as we work with an organization over the week, we come back and we say, "Okay, these are the things that we've heard. These are your appraisal results. Is this right? Because we want you to be able to own this." set of results, not fight them and say, oh, that's not really a finding, but that you can look at that and say, yeah, that's an area of that improvement. That's something we need to work on. That's a value add to us. And when this appraisal team is gone, we can understand it. And that's obviously very significantly different than what you get in a 483 or a warning letter as the result of an, of an inspection. So there are a lot of areas that are different. Um, those are a couple. And I'd also suggest that people go back and, and, and check out what they can hear from industry colleagues if they're interested as to yeah. some of the things that they perceive as different. Yeah, well, and folks, we'll, we'll get those links and, and share them with the text that accompanies the podcast uh, so they can hear from yourself. But, you know, a couple of things, thoughts there. I mean, I, as I'm sure maybe many of those listening, we've been a part of audits, you know, for, you know, I've been in this industry for over 20 years now. And and being quote audit ready is something that you know you always, especially those in the quality area, try to make sure that their companies are prepared for it. And it's almost become, uh, I would say, in my experience, that we as an industry, it's, it's like we've been conditioned to be compliance minded. And I think that you know, if if I were to analyze some of the comments about that I've heard from Dr. Sharon, Cisco, Vicente, and and you know some of the case for quality messaging, it's it's almost like there's a reprogramming effort underway. And I know you've been a part of that with, with the appraisal program. So I think, you know, one could say, well, how do we get here? Well, I think it has been because we've been so uh, focused on, did we meet the regulation? And we start to structure our processes and procedures in a way that demonstrates that compliance that sometimes we've lost the bigger picture. I mean, we are in the medical device industry. We are helping save and improve uh, the quality of life. So uh, for me, this program has been extremely refreshing because, you know, just to dive into some of the comments that you made, you know, it's really about understanding how the business operates, you know, and, and I guess, you know, you've done what probably dozens and dozens of appraisals by now, both within and, and outside the med, med device industry. So, I guess maybe share a moment where there was a light bulb or, or something, you know, an epiphany that, that happened with one of the, the companies where you did the appraisal, how they suddenly saw that, oh, wow, this is a different context. Sure. The CMMI practices that we're looking at are not, they're, they're not necessarily specific to the medical device industry. They are applicable to, um, to all industries. Um, even in my own consulting firm, we periodically go back and we'll look at the CMMI model and say, okay, are we doing these particular practices? So, and yeah, I'm sorry, just wanted to chime in. So we, you've mentioned practice areas uh, a couple of times. Maybe if you yeah. could give a, a couple of examples of, of a yeah. few practice areas that way people could kind of wrap their head around. Right, right. So, yep, that's um, a classic one is, so there, there are, in this program, there are 11 in scope, seven practice areas in, in scope within those 11 practice areas. And those are things like 
technical solution and product integration and configuration management and, and planning and monitoring control. There's others that are out of scope for this particular program at this time, but uh, for initial appraisals, but they would be brought in uh, as the participating organization sees appropriate and a value add to them. So that could be things like incident re- resolution and prevention, supplier agreement management. A classic one that organizations, no surprise here, I'll give you two that they often struggle with, not just in the medical device industry, but more broadly, is requirements uh, development and management and and configuration management. So I I know from a a configuration management perspective, um, we've all dealt with that spreadsheet or that document or that project plan or that SOW, whatever it is, that ends up getting emailed around and then the... Uh, you're making edits to it. I'm making edits to it. It's on somebody's desktop, and it's not necessarily controlled. Now, you know, maybe from a medical device perspective, that's not you know, that type of document's not necessarily needing to be controlled. But how you manage the things that need to be under appropriate appropriate levels of configuration management can have an impact to to your business requirements development. Right. So often we'll incur, uh, you'll you'll see organizations, particularly young organizations, struggling with how do we collect in requirements? How do we manage our particular queue of those things? Are those stories? Are those features? Is that an SRS? Are we taking that in from our complaint queue as well? How do we consider that from a risk perspective? And the model itself represents a set of practices that gives you an organized way to consider how to, you know, at a very simple level, hey, let's record our requirements. And then as you get to higher levels of capability and maturity, how are you considering those requirements by involving all the necessary stakeholders? How are you considering your requirements with your supplier? How are you considering that with other systems that you might need to, those requirements with other systems that you need to interface with? How are you going to validate those particular requirements? So the light bulb goes on for organizations when typically by going through an appraisal, I, I make the analogy that going to going through an appraisal itself is it doesn't necessarily create the process improvement, but it's like going to a doctor and then they're saying to you, "This is the state of your health. This is what your BP is. This is what your BMI is. This is your blood in the blood markers levels that you have." And then from there, you can start to identify what's the appropriate plan for that patient or for that organization as to how they can improve on those particular things. And there certainly are some commonalities. You know, I mentioned uh, requirements management there and configuration management, but um, I mean, all the organizations have their, their, uh, their own sets of struggles. Maybe it's in, you know, how they size their particular efforts and in, in, in terms of cost and effort or how they deal with incidents or how they're coming up with designs. While there's commonality across the areas of the practices, in the framework, each organization has its own unique profile in terms of uh, their capabilities. Does that help, John? Yeah, that, that helps a great deal. And folks, I just want to remind you, I'm talking with George. Zach, George is with Two Harbors Consulting. And has, George has been very involved with the uh, medical device appraisal program or MDAP program, which is uh, a part of uh, the Case for Quality initiative. And just as George is talking, one of the things that, that I want to remind all of you as well, that uh, we at Greenlight Guru, we've built uh, an EQMS software platform specific for the medical device industry. And, and our mantra is about true quality, you know, and it's a, when I learned about the MDAP and Case for Quality initiatives, it was like, for me, a light bulb went off because it's like, yes, you know, finally, there, there is a, an awareness or an initiative that's out there 
to help companies shift from just being compliance-minded and really start to focus on managing their business in a way that results in the, the safest, most effective medical devices possible. So I encourage you to, to check out George and Two Harbors Consulting. Uh, you can go to their website at www.twoharborsconsulting.com. Or actually, let me back up. I think it's uh, even simpler than that. I think it's uh, 2hc.com. Uh, you can go and learn more about Two Harbors Consulting. And of course, you can learn more about the Greenlight Guru EQMS software platform by going to www.greenlight.guru. So, George, you, you talked about the companies who participate in the pilot program. And I guess, uh, first, uh, the pilot program, it's my understanding, it is continuing throughout 2019, correct? Yes, that, that is correct. All right. So I know like the current, current, current news cycle, you know, we're, I think we're all, you know, on the, on the day you're recording this, we're all trying to figure out what's going on with the FDA. <laughs> with the current news cycle. But yeah. Yes, it is doing in 2019. Yeah. And, and as we're recording this too, I, I believe the government is still on shutdown. So uh, obviously FDA is part of the government. So, you know, there's uh, trying to figure out if, what, when, and all that sort of thing. Hopefully there's little impact to, to progressing uh, through this program uh, in 2019. But, uh, some of the, the things you talked about, the regulatory benefits to participants in the pilot program in 2018. And I, I know a lot of those regulatory benefits. I mean, the, the obvious of, of most obvious of those was not needing or having to go through an FDA inspection as long as they're involved in the program. But there were some other uh, regulatory benefits predominantly for like PMA class three devices, uh, advanced review times and cycle times and things like that. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on some of those regulatory benefits uh, for the 2018 participants? Yeah, sure. So the, the, the most basic that you mentioned is that uh, routine inspection. So the inspection that I think that people are expecting where the FDA comes in knocks on your door and, and asks for a cup of coffee and uh, a walk through your facility and, and then maybe wants to camp out for a few days to go through documentation and talk to people, that routine inspection activity gets waived. And for some people, that alone is a is a benefit enough. Now, you know, certainly for organizations that are participating in MD-SAP, you know, they, they may say that that's, that's not really something that is uh, as of great value to them, but to organizations that can often get tied up with a uh, inspection that can um, tie them up in that back room and maybe impact production uh, significantly for for days or maybe even a week or more. Um, that can we we've have we've had different numbers on that. We've had some organizations say, "Hey, we value the removal of that at a ten thousand dollar benefit," and we've had other organizations tell us that they value it at a half million dollar benefit because of the wow. the. Um, lack of uh, the lack of interruption. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, hang on, I just want to pause there because that's pretty significant, whether it's 10000 or half a million dollars. Uh, I mean, I, I've been in those, even for small companies going through an FDA inspection. I mean, you're, you're probably tying up at least two, maybe three FTEs for a, a solid week, you know, and then if, you know, you, you don't have that kind of interruption that an, an inspection uh, tends to bring, I mean, that, that could be pretty significant. So, so right. yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. Right. And one of the MDIC uh, case for quality forms, uh, a leader from one of the large medical device manufacturers showed a picture of the back room that they had for their MD-SAP 
uh, inspection, and it was manned by close to 50 people. Holy cow. Um, so you can do whatever you, you want from a run rate on that for those people across the course of that, mm-hmm. that five days and what the cost of that would be. And again, uh, and, and then she, she did a comparison of that to there was nobody essentially in the back room for the CMMI appraisal activity because we strive for it to be as non-interruptive. Uh, you know, obviously, we're, we're taking up time for people sure. to do planning of that. There's going to be people in interviews, but to be much less uh, interrupt driven. So there's certainly benefit with that. The, another one is the, the 30-day change notice. And this one's a little, this is, what's really interesting to me about this is initially I thought that this would be, that the benefit would be, okay, we have an engineering change. Um, if we can implement that more quickly and the FDA streamlines that from 30 days down to five days or two days, hey, we're getting that change in faster. And particularly if we're running different production lines, say for the US versus Europe, we can now implement those changes at the same time And that's really where our benefit would be. One of the things that um, we're hearing from organizations is that with such a streamlined process, your engineers, your problem solvers are more likely to bring problems uh, or engineering changes that would be a benefit to the organization to the table where in the past they may not because they'd say, you know, there's all this submission paperwork. It's it's too much. Um, I'm not going to even bother trying with that. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. So... So let me elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah, just let me elaborate on that for for some folks. So in the U.S., if you have a class three PMA device and you identify the need to make a change, it is not a trivial exercise uh, as it stands in a a traditional model. There's a a change notification process that you need to engage FDA on making that change. And so what George is pointing out is that in a lot of organizations, because of these uh, uh, hurdles, we'll say, perceived or, or real, but hurdles that are in place for making changes. A lot of times, the changes wouldn't happen. They would they would go into the queue and maybe never to see the light of the day. But but what George has observed is that wow, with this appraisal program, that now engineers are more likely to bring these changes to the surface. Which you know that to me, all by itself, is pretty profound because you want to talk about the reason that that, you know, I'm an engineer, I solve problems. The reason I would make a change is to make an improvement to something. And if I'm bearing the, the opportunity for improvement because of the the regulatory hurdles that I have to go through, then no kidding, no no wonder my device isn't as safe and effective as it could possibly be. So this is a, this is a wonderful discovery. Yeah, we're really excited about that. I think initially the feedback that we were hearing was that with a stream, you, you can certainly do the math and say, hey, something that was taking me uh, 30 days, here's the cost associated with that. And here's the cost savings that's associated with that. If it's taking five, I can implement those changes faster. But just, I, I don't even know how to put a number on the value of like, now we're going to bring more. Yeah. You don't have a case for that to say, now we're bringing more ideas to bear. Additionally, one of the things that came out is there was a large medical device manufacturer that did some analysis. And with the number of changes that they were submitting to the FDA, separately, they were essentially tying up the equivalent of an FTE at the FDA with the number of changes that they were submitting in a year. It wasn't just one person sitting there, you know, waiting for the change, right, right. you know, George, George Zach medical devices, but essentially it added up to that. And, and so with a streamlined approach where they can also combine uh, multiple changes in this streamlined uh, approach, the FDA is also saying, hey, look, we don't need to, they're, they're seeing benefit. 
you know, perhaps the listening audience is less concerned about FDA benefits, <laughs> and but uh, they're seeing benefit and they're saying, hey, look, we don't have to tie up resources in that same way with this streamlined approach. So they're improving and learning, and they're able to reallocate those resources to other activities to to bring other devices to the market more quickly or to inspect firms that may, maybe are not necessarily in compliance. So they're they're looking at some benefits as, as well. Well, that's that's important. I mean, we're in an ecosystem for sure, and so FDA is you know, and, and one way of looking at it could be a customer of of ours as a medical device company, um, but they certainly hold some decision making uh, power in that process too. So you know, we we have to be cognizant of not only resources in our uh, organizations, but also uh, those third party regulatory agencies. That I mean, that's pretty significant, but. I guess for those listening and, and you kind of putting a, a wrapper on, on this podcast, you know, it sounds like a lot of the benefits in the 2018 were, I'll say, skewed more toward class three PMA type device companies. Mm-hmm. And what do you see coming in, in 2019? You know, is this, is this going to be more geared towards, you know, companies of all shapes and sizes, all device types, or is there a certain... Uh, type of of company, a certain device type that you see being more beneficial in the 2019 version of the pilot? Yeah. So before I answer where I think some of the regulatory benefits are coming in 2019, the size of the company, we've had we've had the, the, the biggest of the bigs, um, you know, all the big names that you're familiar with in this program. We've also had a handful of small organizations. I think the smallest organization that we've had participate in this pilot was 17 people, a software development shop. Uh, that had 17 uh, total total staff in it, you know, and, and privately held, not not publicly traded. So, the program itself at this point is uh, it's not just for large organizations. We dealt with small, medium, and, and and large, class one, class two, and class three organizations. To your point about where the benefits are going, it's very much a hot topic with within the working groups that we have as a part of this program. So, in addition to the organizations participating that get an appraisal, we are also asking us, we're asking those organizations to come back and help us improve this program. And one of those is what are the regulatory benefits that would make the most sense for you? And, you know, it's probably no big surprise. Everybody's looking for something streamlined in the 510k space. And and that seems to be very much aligned with, you know, what we're hearing out of the agency in, in terms of how they're trying to shift their thinking on, predicate devices and the age of predicate devices and uh, you know where they're going with their safety action plan. And one of the working groups that we have formed with our participants and the agency is to get the right representation from industry and the agency uh, in a virtual room and discuss through what that looks like. Um, so right now, I would say that's probably the, the hottest ticket, uh, particularly in the, in the class two space. Um, and I, I, we're really hope, hopeful that by way of those conversations, we can we can define something that would be um, that would be helpful in that space. I think it's also aligned with uh, you know what I would expect is it's outside the case for quality, but I know that you've also spoke on this podcast about the digital health pre-certification program. Um, I know that those software as a me- uh, medical device manufacturers are really interested in benefits in that space. It would seem to me that while there probably be there will be some SAMD. Uh, devices that may bubble up to a, a class three. It seems to me like a lot of them would be in the class two space. I feel that whatever's defined in this program um, is probably also going to have some spillover into that program from the 510k space as well. So I think that's an area you know, this program is driving towards that, but it, there, there's also other initiatives that are all driving us towards some sort of 
shift or modification or, or whatever you want to call it in the 510k space. Yeah, thanks. That, that's really helpful. And, and folks, George and I are just really skimming the surface of the MDAP program, the Medical Device Discovery Appraisal Program, and would encourage you all to learn more about George, Zach, and Two Harbors Consulting to TWOHC.com. And of course, we'll provide uh, additional supporting information about MDIC, the CMMI Institute, and, and the appraisal program. Because in my opinion, it doesn't matter your shape or size of your organization, understanding how your business functions and operates and getting into this mindset of continuous opportunity for improvement is really the right way to go. And, and I've had some candid conversations with, with George about ways to to uh, implement the appraisal methodology within our business here at Greenlight Guru. Uh, and, I, and I think it's just, uh, it's really a great mindset, especially for those of us in the medical device industry, because remember, we are improving the quality of life with the devices and uh, that we're, we're developing and manufacturing. So, you know, to, to enable changes, to en- en- enable opportunities for improvement is something that we should all be mindful of and something that we should, you know, try to enable within our particular organizations. So, George, thank you so much for being my guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you, John. Again, really honored. And like I said, I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast in the past. Um, I probably won't listen to this one because it'll be like uh, listening to uh, fingernails on the chalkboard (laughs) with my voice. Uh, But Uh, the the work that you guys are doing here in this podcast, I think, is leading in, in terms of sharing this information as to how uh, this space is changing, and it's a really, it's a really interesting time. So, um, thanks again for the opportunity to, to, to speak, and um, be happy to speak with you at any point in the future about where the program's going. Oh, my pleasure, folks. Once again, uh, George Zach with Two Harbors Consulting, and you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.